Welcome, everybody, to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we are going to talk about the Book of Romans. But first. But first, we have to talk about something that I'm not qualified to talk about. What is the only band that has played a concert in all, on all seven continents? What is the only band who has played a concert on all seven continents? Uh, so uh, the seven continents would be North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Africa. That's five. And then Australia, right? Australia, yes. Hang on. <clears throat> North, South, uh, Europe, Asia, Australia, Antarctica, right? Mm -hmm. What's the seventh? See, that's... You said Australia. I said Australia, time. yeah. We, we don't know basic Central geography. Central America? Here. Is that... So, I, okay, that's... <laughs> we're going to have to go to Google here. Um, sorry, folks. Uh, accuracy matters on the podcast. Oceania. Oh, oh, okay. North America, South America, Asia, Europe, Oceania. O -O yeah. Ocean How do you say that? Oceania? Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm guessing that's like Australia, New Zealand. Okay. Antarctica. All right. Australia. Oh, man. Okay. So North, South, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, Antarctica. Yeah. Okay. That's seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Seven. That's seven. The only band to have played on all seven continents. Correct. Now, the the thing that's going to throw me here is going to be uh, uh, Antarctica because there isn't really permanent. I think there is now. There's like a Navy base down there. Right. Uh, McMurdo Station. Um, so who would the... I'm, I'm going to go with the Rolling Stones. Metallica. Dang it! I actually like Metallica. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that. Okay, that works. They did a special concert down in in Antarctica. In Antarctica, so. you know. So what I, I, I this just triggers a memory of a great book called Endurance, okay. which is a uh, mission to Antarctica. I think to the South Pole by a guy named Ernest Shackleton. And when they got there, their ship got trapped in the ice. And this is before, like, you could call for rescue or anything. Right. And so they actually had to um, figure out how to take the, the wreckage of the ship and cross the ice. And then um, they had, I can't remember how many guys, like maybe 20 guys. But three guys left in a, like, a 20-foot sailboat. And they had to hit, like the edge of South America there, there was a whaling station. I can't remember. Was it the, what were those islands that the British took the Falklands, right? An island off the Falklands. And they had to hit this one spot and they had to navigate using the stars, like literally uh. using a sextant to find the stars on this 21 foot sailboat. And they, um, and, and that, that section of ocean is like the most horrendous section of ocean oh, yeah. anywhere. And they did it. And then they were able to go back and rescue the other guys. 
So it was like this incredible story. Like none of the men died. They ate their dogs though. Um, mm. But none of the men died. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and the reason I remember that is because I saw a TikTok that was um, showing one of the shacks that like it's still there in Antarctica and it's perfectly preserved. Like they have their clothes hung up to dry. They have the stove in there. Their provisions are on the shelves. So That they built while they yeah, were. Yeah, that they built, you know, to shelter themselves from like Antarctica. <laughs> so the concert was in 2013 and there was 120 people there. That would be a great concert. Mm-hmm. It was called uh, Freeze Them All. Freeze Them All. Freeze Them All. Freeze Them All. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I think that would be that'd be wild. Antarctica is one of the places that I could be convinced to go, right? Like I like to stay home. Yeah. But if somebody was like, "Hey, would you like a free trip to Antarctica?" I'd be like, "Down, let's go." Mm, too cold for me. Too cold. Yeah. Too cold. I mean, you're cold now. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. <laughs> so something I am uh, qualified to talk about a little bit is uh, biblical studies, and we've been doing uh, the Book of Romans at church. And I think Romans Romans has a very um, understandable structure uh, because Paul is talking about the gospel, and we were talking in the pre-show about like the the Christian terminology, right? Mm-hmm. And so when when you hear the word gospel, like what strikes your brain? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, yeah, the gospels, right? Um, when you think about the gospel that leads to salvation, what is that? What hits Romans. your brain there? Ro- yeah, Romans. Um, and really the, the story or the, the life and significance of Jesus Christ, right? Like what, who he is and what he has done for all humanity. Mm -hmm. And so that's, um, when we use those terms, we have to be careful, um, because some people have never heard those words before. Mm -hmm. And as the world gets less and less churched, I think Christians have to have you know, an awareness of, okay, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. But Paul in Romans, he's got these uh, five different sections. The first section is the sin section. And sin, um, okay, let's do the sections, right? Okay, there's sin, salvation. Salvation is the um, rescue from the consequences of sin, right? Mm -hmm. That's where Jesus comes into play. Sanctification, which talks about a life that is growing in obedience to Christ. So the progressive action of God in your mind and heart to lead you into a more more moral and kind existence, like becoming a better person, Mm -hmm. Um, but not becoming a better person through self-effort. Okay, there's some self-effort, but also the effort of God working on you. Uh, sin, salvation, sanctification. Now, the fourth section deals with um, the question of history because the Jewish people in history were given um, the Bible, the Old Testament. They received revelation from God, not the book of Revelation, but God revealed himself to that nation, taught them about sacrifice, taught them about mediation, having someone to go to God for you. Mm-hmm. And so... Paul has to address the the idea because now Christians and Jewish people come to God the same way. And so there's a very natural question from the Jewish people. Hey, wait a minute. This is our thing. Mm -hmm. Why are we letting people in? Um, Almost like it was an exclusive club. And so Warren Wearsby, whose outline this is, calls it sovereignty. Um, I would throw the word Israel in there or the question of Israel in there. 
So sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty are the question of Israel, and then finally, service. And so Paul is presenting like a step-by-step detailed, here's the end result of being a Christian, uh, of becoming a Christian, starting from zero. Mm -hmm. And he really does start from zero because he starts with, um, in the sin section, he starts with, we're sinners, people are sinners. And I think in our modern culture, we have lost the idea of sin. What do you think about that? Mm. I th- think maybe we diluted it. I don't know yeah. about lost, but... I've been reading. Shocker. <laughs> um, I do a lot of reading. I, I like reading. Reading, I think, is good for you. But there's um, a category of reading that I've been kind of um, refreshing myself on. And it's reading in systematic theology. Would you mind? There's probably some reading glasses on that desk back there. But I will need the reading glasses to do the reading because I'm that old. Your day's coming, kid. Thank you. I've had glasses since first grade. What are you talking about? Okay. Well, I haven't. Um, Sin. So this is from a guy, his name is Michael Bird, and he writes uh, systematic theology very well, which isn't the usual thing. Usually systematic theology is really dry. But he talks about sin being lawlessness, okay? Um, disobedience to divine commands, not doing what God wants us to do. Transgression, okay? Crossing a boundary or knowingly crossing a boundary. Do you speed? Define speeding. Oh, see? Do you go over the speed limit? The posted speed limit, yes, many times. But I stay between the posted speed limit and when they pull you over. When's that? Uh, it's closer to like 10 miles over. Really? 10 over? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, so, well, that, that's, you that's live when, on the edge. That's when they pull you over. I stay oh, below. Below that, so yeah. eight, eight miles over? If I'm in a real hurry, but typically it's only about five. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, yeah, I wouldn't write you a ticket for that. I don't care. <laughs> sin is also rebellion <clears throat> and disobedience. And I, and I think, um, you know, the, the natural way to, um, to make this comparison is to think about kids. Because kids, like my grandson this morning, so it was 34 degrees outside. And we have to set a rule that when it's below 40, you have to wear long pants because he will just wear shorts oh, all yeah. the time. And it's... Like, it's a fight every time. Just just wear pants. It's cold outside. You'll be cold. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wear pants. I want to wear shorts. No, you little rebel. If you didn't have a recess outside, then yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. I, well, got I mean, recess outside. And here's where there's a little difference of opinion between my wife and I where I'm like, just let him be cold. He's, he'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, no, he can't. Anyway. So sin has all these different aspects to it. And rebellion is one of them. Perversion is another missing the mark. Um, But then, you know, Bird goes in and he talks about, um, let me just read it to you, okay? The core New Testament convictions concerning sin assume three basic tenets or ideas. The world is inherently sinful. That's, That's one of the things that we see in the world around us. There is wrongdoing. There is rebellion against God. The world would be a nicer place if there wasn't sin. Sin is humanity's rebellious attitude towards God's will. And I think that's just, that's true. 
Um, and I think what's really true about that is every time you every time you identify something in someone's life and think that it's a sin, even in your own life, right? Even if you're looking and being introspective and you're reading the Bible and the Bible comes up with that something is a sin, like what, what happens in your heart, it's not that bad. We immediately diminish it to, it's only eight miles over, right? I'm not suggesting that speeding <laughs> is a sin because I speed like a demon, right? Um, but think about, and I, I want to go to our culture of honor here, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We, we use the back end of Ephesians for our culture of honor. And, you know, in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is laying out the, the wonder of being saved, being rescued from the consequences of sin. And then in the back end, he, he just talks about some very practical things. Um, and one of them, let's, let's find a good list here. There are virtue and vice lists, right? <clears throat> Four twenty-five. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So, what, what does it look like to speak the truth to someone? I don't know. That's hard because I—I I mean, I do believe that sometimes truth is different for different people. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you can speak your truth to somebody, but it might you don't know what's going mm. on behind the scenes with them, so it might not be actually the truth. Okay. So I think you're thinking more situationally, Probably, right? So yeah. in, in your situation, but I'm thinking more objectively, mm-hmm. right? So if someone was, um, <clears throat> let's see, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, right? Okay, right. so stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can give you an example. So your husband left his coffee cup at the church last night. Yes. And he told me that he did. And I thought, hmm, here's an opportunity. I could say, because it's a nice coffee cup. It is. I could say, sorry, Grant, I don't see it here. And then take it to my house. But what would that be? Stealing. Right? And so then if you saw me drinking from your husband's coffee cup, and you're like, hey, is that my husband's coffee cup? What's my option? Well, now I have to either tell the truth or lie. Uh Nope. Well, then you would probably be left with a question in your mind because you had never seen that coffee cup here before and you know what your husband's coffee cup looks like. And so you might have to call me on it. <clears throat> so I think, um, yeah, there could be situations where in, in perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. So one person has one perspective on an event. Another person has a different perspective on the event. Right. And it's hard to parse out right from wrong in those situations. Mm-hmm. But I think... Um, there are other situations where it's like, okay, we're comparing to a standard here. Um, maybe this one's even harder, 429. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Hmm. What's unwholesome talk? Right. No, give me an example. Oh, I mean, talking bad about somebody specifically probably would be unwholesome okay. talk. Okay, yeah, unwholesome talk, talk yeah. trash talking, right? Unless you're involved with that person in an athletic competition, right? Yeah. Suppose you're playing ping pong with a good friend, 
I mean, is trash talk enabled then? Can you, you know? Mm, I feel like that's different. I think mamas are off the table no matter what, but. I mean, that one is more in fun and there's not malice behind it. Mm. Whereas if you are going and spreading rumors and lies about somebody behind their back, mm. there's a malice behind yeah, it. There's a that, malicious aspect. To it. Yeah. So intent matters. Yes. Yeah. One of the ideas that's been helpful for me is actually from speech act theory. And I used it in counseling because I'm not a counselor and I don't know what they think about it. But there's the intent behind your words. Mm -hmm. There's the words that you use. And there's the effect that those words have on somebody. Mm -hmm. So you could have like perfectly pure intent, but use words that have an impact on somebody mm -hmm. that is a very devastating impact. So I think as a Christian, I have to take at least partial responsibility for the effect that my words have on somebody else. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, I have to have some understanding of the intent behind someone's words directed at me, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, let's say we're playing ping pong and you're talking trash. It hurts my feelings. What am I supposed to do? Say something. Say something. Yeah. It's like, ouch, Alyssa, that really hurt. I, I don't think that you could hurt me <laughs> with your words when we were playing ping pong, no matter what kind of, even if you brought up I'd be too mamas. busy chasing the ball. So. Yeah. <laughs> So, but, but these things, you know, when we, when we go back to the Bible and we think about what sin is and, and all of these violations, like to, to harm another person is really, it, it affects our divine relationship, the relationship that we have with God. And so we should be sensitive to those kind of things. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read you a definition, and this is from a philosopher. Well, I think he's a theologian. Anyway, Cornelius Plantinga, sin is any agential acts and dispositions evil for which some person or group of persons is to blame. What was that second word? Agential. Uh, agent. <laughs> so any okay. agent or in. So when an agent is involved, um, he, he goes on and to make it easier. Okay. In short, sin is culpable. So you have blame involved. Mm -hmm. Shalom breaking, peace breaking. Mm hmm. Shalom is God's design for creation and redemption. Sin is blamable human vandalism of these great realities and therefore an affront to their architect and builder. The strength of this definition is it grasps the biblical vision of sin as bringing a ruptured relationship that needs the peace and healing that only the cross can bring. So I think this is, you know, what, what Bird is trying to do is he's trying to really clearly understand that Sin is not just breaking a rule. Mm -hmm. It's not going five miles an hour over. Like, that's not a big deal. That's just a little rule. And really, as long as you're keeping up with traffic and not driving right. the wrong way down the highway. Right. But, I mean, that's where, like, when we, like, for me, harming other people, that's where things get to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone is harmed, you know, not that that's the only thing, because your relationship with God is harmed by sins. By lying, you know, if you don't tell yourself the truth, mm -hmm. you're harming your relationship with God. So I think when we think about sin, we need to understand that as people, we are wired to intentionally turn sin down. And so we have to actually turn sin up. Okay. So we have to consciously think, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to minimize this. What does God think about it? Okay. Not so that we become like neurotic, right? Don't don't drive 
don't be, don't get crazy, right? Don't be so concerned about sin that you can't move. Mm -hmm. There are those people like that in the world. But to be aware of either turning it down or turning it up, maybe that's the thing. Don't turn it down. Don't turn it up too much. Mm -hmm. Have a proper biblical understanding of sin. And so when we when we do that, and you go look at Romans, the first thing that, that Paul is doing in the sin section is he's going to talk about the obvious sinner. Now, I had to create a character for this, and I created um, Mr. Schmutzig. Okay, so... The word, in, there isn't an English word that describes this guy. Okay, let me uh, get into the text here. Uh, the wrath of God, this is chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. Which people? Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And then he goes into, okay, so we're talking about people, we're talking about a certain kind of person, mm -hmm. a person who, because of natural revelation, like the world around them, they know there's a God. Right. And they don't care. They just willy-nilly get involved in sinning. And so Paul describes them as he goes on. <clears throat> just as this is verse 28 of chapter 1. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. This is the best part. <laughs> they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve those who practice them. And so I like Paul is maybe um, turning sin up to 11 here, mm -hmm. right? Because he's giving us, though, this is called the vice list. And this is the longest vice list in the New Testament. And he's describing a kind of person who knows that God exists, knows that there's judgment for sin and says, eh, I don't care. Mm -hmm. That's bad. Yeah. I wouldn't want to live next to that person. Like, if that guy was in your neighborhood, what would you do? I don't know. It depends. <laughs> really? This guy lives in your neighborhood. <clears throat> He's inventing but the, ways to But the to question would be, like, does he have to steal to provide for his family? Does, you know, was he not taught? Like, I think the background of that is that he was taught that this isn't the way you're supposed to be. So mm. I guess it's, again, the intent. Whereas mm. like some of it, it might be, you know, they have to do some of these things to survive. Mm. Mm -hmm. So. But if he can steal, he can work. And I mean, some, some of these are not like subsistence In the perfect things, world. Right? Some of these aren't, aren't subsistence level things, right? Right. Envy. That's a character quality. Yes. Right? Certainly murder would be one. Like Murder is the willful taking of another person's life, right? Yes. For not good reason. Yes. That, 
I mean, that's premeditated. Murder is like a heavy, heavy word. Surely there's no reason to murder someone. I mean, unless it was self-defense. Or... Right, but that wouldn't be called murder. That would be called killing in self-defense, right? Paul has different words for these things. Okay. You're a charitable person, right? <laughs> but that's where like the text is driving us to see this person as the obvious sinner. Mm-hmm. So he knows better and... Okay, maybe we're reading between the lines. He can do better, right? Right. But he chooses not to do better. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but certainly he also approves of those who practice them right there at the end. So not only is he willing to do bad things himself, he's also willing to cheer people on while they do bad things. Mm-hmm. You're a charitable, kind person. <laughs> that comes out in who you are. But I think... Um, I think Paul is showing us that sin is sin is very sinful. He's creating this picture on purpose because what he wants people to understand, he gets the good people nodding along, right? Even the ones who have to have their arms twisted and to be convinced a little bit. He's like, oh, yeah, that guy he probably is a sinner. Mm-hmm. He probably is. Yeah, he's violating God's God's rules. Yeah, he's, he's bad, right? Mm-hmm. And so then Paul's going to make a turn. Because at the end of all of this, and in, in, you go to chapter 3, right? Who's accountable before God? Everyone. Everyone. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that the whole world, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Now, this is where the section breaks. He's going to start talking about salvation here. But if you go down to 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, humanly speaking, we try to, we try to make the standard a human standard. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, um, when we think about God's standard to live in his place, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have standards at your house, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have standards at my house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is you can't poop in the living room, right? That's You can't do that. Unless, Nobody can do that. Not that you ever dog. would, right? Yeah, well, and even then, like, if you had a dog who just kept pooping in the living room, yeah, what would you do with that dog? Try to figure out why, but... Yeah, you try to... You would work on it, right? You, right? you try to help the dog. You'd be like... You maybe would have some long conversations late at night, you know, mm-hmm. take him out for coffee... You know, hey, Bowser, you know, you keep crapping in the living room and it's kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. But eventually you're going to get rid of that dog. Mm. Or he's going to live outside. I just put my cat in the cat condo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> you wouldn't get rid of the dog that was crapping in the living room? Well, so I have a cat who does not like to go in the litter box. Yeah. And so we have now, she is confined to an area. Okay, so she's kenneled. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a very big space, but yeah. 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 My my son had cats, and so my, my wife doesn't do cats. And so when he moved in with us during the pandemic, we created a cat place, mm-hmm. you know, that they were fine in their little place, you mm-hmm. know. He would let them out to frolic and do their thing, but then they would go back in their place. <coughs> this is a hard idea, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And I I said last night, and I I really do believe this is true, that at the end of your life, you'll stand before God, and it will be the most searching and honest moment of your life, where you know 
in all of the details, all of your rebellion, all of your anger, mm-hmm. all of the things that you've done wrong, all the things that you've done right, you know, all of the ways that you've done well, or, or it'll be very honest. Mm-hmm. But then it'll also be a comparison to the perfection of God. And nobody measures up to that. Right. No matter how good of a person that you are. And I think in that moment, so we haven't gotten to the salvation section yet, right? So we haven't talked about what Jesus has done to pay for our sin and to bring us into a restored relationship to God. But I think in that moment when you see God, you will also know how great God has been to you and how patient and kind and how much the cross has covered. I think that moment is going to be just humanly overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. For its um, depth of knowledge, for its um, understanding of all the things that you've tried to fake, all the ways that you and I have been uh, come up short, um, not been as loving and kind as we should, or not been as honest as we should for all the things that we've stolen, for all those things. It'll be a moment of incredible honesty, overwhelmed by what Christ has done for us. We haven't gotten there yet. We're still in the sin section. (laughs) And so in the sin section, Paul creates this person, Mr. Schmutzig. And Mr. Schmutzig, I I had to go to German because I didn't feel like English could could have a word for this guy, right? Because he's so bad. I mean, he's he's such a train wreck. I don't think I know anybody who is quite that bad, like in the real world. Because they're all in prison. One would hope. <laughs> um, one would hope. Um, <clears throat> and that's where I think, you know, where, where justice falls short a lot of times, you know, because people do get a pass or they don't get caught. But in Romans chapter 2, we're going to make uh, a switch to a different person. And we named him yesterday Mr. Morals. Um, Mr. Morals, so chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So, Paul is uh, this you who pass judgment on someone else, okay, is this right here in Greek. Okay. Ha krino. Okay. So, the word krino, um, you get to suffer through this, is the word judge. Okay. Okay. But the way that the, this is an omega nu on the end. Mm-hmm. So, it's an own sound, krin, own. And so, with the article, this is the word the. <clears throat> here, the one who judges. Okay. All of that packed in one idea um, called a substantive participle for you language nerds out there. You who judges. So Paul is creating a picture of this person who is, uh, we would call this person a moralist. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're looking at Mr. Schmutzig. They're looking at the previous guy and they're like, oh yeah, that guy He's definitely a sinner because he's breaking the rules. So I made some rules to go along with that so that I don't break the rules. Mm -hmm. 
But now he's got confidence in his rules. Now he's thinking, oh, um, I'll just follow the rules and everything is good with me and God. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the question is actually wrong. Like the, the, the question that people, people don't put the, put the right question to themselves. Because what people will say is, I'm all right with God. And that's backwards. Because what you should be asking is, is God all right with me? Okay. Because when I say I'm all right with God, that means, yeah, I've, I'm a good person. I've got, uh, I've got my act together. Yeah, okay. I've got a good credit score. Um, you, you know, ticked I, the boxes. I ticked the boxes. I cut my grass. You know, I'm a good neighbor. I lend out my tools. Um, all, all the boxes are checked, but we never check to see what is in God's boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the perfection that God is, we don't measure up to that. We're very quick to place ourselves on the social ladder. I'm above certain people. I'm below certain people. Um, and it can get kind of neurotic about those kind of things. Mm-hmm. What Paul says is this guy. So we're moving from the bad person, the obviously bad person to the obviously good person. But does the good person consistently follow his rules all the time? Probably not. Well, I don't. I I know I don't follow my rules, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, every time I think, oh, I should restart a diet, then the Boy Scouts are selling popcorn again. Or Girl Scout cookie season. Like there are actually junk food seasons, right? Mm -hmm. We just finished Apple Festival. Did you get anything? No, I didn't go at all. Oh, you didn't go at all? No, it was too cold for me. It was cold. Yeah, it was cold and rainy. But I braved the cold and wet to get cheese curds. You just go to Culver's. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not Mike's. Mike's grease bombs. I asked the deluxe burgers. Okay. That's, that's always a fair week. And Apple Festival yeah. favorite. So I actually asked the Mike's cheese curd guy, mm-hmm. how much is too much? He had an answer. Do you want to know what it is? How much? Well, he, maybe it wasn't an answer. <clears throat> he said there was a guy, they had like an eight-day run at a fair, and there was a guy who came twice a day and ordered two orders of cheese curds. Okay. Twice a day for eight days. Too much. <laughs> but who says he was eating both? Those are fair questions. <laughs> I, yeah, I, maybe he's sharing them with, you know, a crowd of small children. Who knows? I think we are. And, and you know what we're doing? We're like, we're looking at this guy and saying that's too much, right? We're comparing him to a standard of good dietary choices. How do we get off on Apple Fest? Oh, at diet. Diet, right? yeah, and rules. Do you find there's a season to um, to food? Right, we're about to have the barn party mm-hmm. at church, which involves food. food. And well, probably we're getting ready cookies. to go into Thanksgiving and Christmas, Thanksgiving, where it's all Christmas, like junk food seasons. Mm-hmm. And then in January, what are we all going to do? Except you, because you're really skinny. <laughs> go on diets. We're all going to go on diets, right? Yeah, or we're going to all decide to eat better, or stop smoking, or just whatever. We're going to decide a lot of things in the new year because that's the season. And then what comes next? Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, yeah, which is basically eat chocolate day. <laughs> <clears throat> we all follow our own rules, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, and so Paul is pointing to the good people and saying, even you good people don't measure up. And we always have to keep thinking about this idea called context. Context is the idea that you have to look at the big picture, the section, before you get too tied up in the verses. Mm -hmm. So 319 and 20 says everybody's accountable. 323 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And those are pretty absolutes. But Paul doesn't start there. He starts with the obvious sinner. He moves to the good person. And at the beginning, we don't know if this person is a Jew or a Gentile. So we could probably say he's thinking about the Gentiles who appear to be good people. Mm -hmm. And um, for the Jewish people, they'd be like, I don't know. But for the Gentiles, they're like, yeah, we have rules. We follow rules. Um, Marcus Aurelius, you know, is a famous um, Stoic philosopher and Roman emperor. Okay. Marcus Aurelius said, um, stop talking about what it means to be a good person and just be one. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. That's tweetable, right? That's, you can put that on the wall. It's like Nike, just do it. Mm -hmm. um, but hey, what does it mean? Yeah. And if it was easy to do, everybody would do it. There wouldn't be any self-help books if we didn't need to improve or if we could follow the rules. If we followed rules by nature, we wouldn't need self-help books. We wouldn't need diet books. <laughs> Paul goes on, and this is where, so um, he's going to seem to contradict himself. We'll talk about that a little bit. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That's that honest moment. Mm -hmm. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. So the main point of this section is that right there at the end, God does not show favoritism. His judgment will be equally applied to both Jew and Gentile. That's the main point. But baked in here in verse 7 and verse 10, it looks like um, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. So it looks like he's saying that if you do enough good, you can live forever. And that's a hard... Uh, so how does that compare to the overall theme of the section at the end of 3, 19, and 20, where he says everybody's accountable to God? Is there a real class of people who can earn eternal life? This is a big question in biblical studies. What do you think? It, you can't you can't answer wrong at this point. <laughs> you can't earn it. Okay, you can't earn it. That that's valid, right? Yeah. Based on the larger context. Um, so, how do we reconcile Paul's statement? He will give these people eternal life with the fact that you can't earn it. Yeah. Okay, there's options here, and that's where <clears throat> I don't want you to be um, confused or anything because. Um, the way that we surface and talk about options moves from inductive to deductive Bible study. So in inductive Bible study, you look in the Bible. In deductive Bible study, you look at all the different commentaries you basically read, mm -hmm. okay? And there are three categories. Um, so one category 
which was popular a long, long time ago, is faithful Jews and moral Gentiles before the coming of Christ. So before we even have Jesus, he's talking about way back then in the Wogi days, mm-hmm. um, people who were faithful because they didn't have Christ. Okay, that's one. Now, the majority, so this is from a commentary called by Doug Moo, the majority of commentators have argued that Paul refers to any non-Christian But within this interpretation, five approaches differing in vital respects are to be distinguished. Okay, so uh, non-Christians who somehow earn eternal life. Some think, Paul sets out, the possibility of salvation of some people through their works apart from faith in Christ and that this principle stands in irreconcilable tension with his teaching of justification by faith alone. So... What we understand is that when we get to Romans 3:21 to 31, that the offer of salvation is only by faith in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. That is orthodox, normal Christianity. There is no category of persons who have earned mm-hmm. salvation. And what Doug Moo is saying is like, okay, one option is to just say, that's a contradiction, but we don't care. Mm. Well, I care, right? <laughs> and so that's where you just keep going down the list. Others argue... Similarly, that God rewards with eternal life those who respond obediently to the light they have received, and that as long as the works are regarded as produced with the aid of God's grace, no contradiction with Paul's teaching elsewhere is created. Okay, so you have this guy. Um, his name is, let's call him Ugabuga. <laughs> he lives in the Ungabunga land. I don't mean to be disrespectful of tribal people, so if you happen to listen to this and you're a tribal person, God bless you. Um, so he lives out in the jungle. He only knows the light from creation. So he only knows that there's a God. Mm-hmm. And what the idea is, is he's responding correctly to the understanding that he has. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is the rest of the Bible, right? That doesn't seem to be a theme in the rest of the Bible. What the Bible says is go tell people about Jesus. Why? Because their eternal destiny is at stake. But there are still more options. Okay. Another variation holds that those who earnestly seek eternal peace are granted the faith that brings justification. And this faith, a missing middle term in Paul's argument, is what brings eternal life. Okay, so they respond with faith. Mm-hmm. They may not know the object of the faith, but they're responding in faith. So we're still this hypothetical class of people living out in the jungle. They don't have enough information, but they respond by trusting that God will do what is right. A few have viewed the principle as purely hypothetical, a statement of the way things would be if Christ had not come and the law could be fulfilled. Okay, so some people say, and this is, don't get lost in the options, right? We're looking at this statement in the text that says God will give eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek this. Um, But I think what he's creating, and I think hypothetical is a good solution it's not the only solution, but he's saying, hey, this. what about these people? What about the very rare person who could? Finally, in this, of the three options, mm-hmm. option two, subsection five, <laughs> others argue that the promise eternal, of eternal life for those who do good is fully valid, but that the power of sin prevents anyone from doing that good to the degree necessary to merit salvation. Okay, verses 7 and 10 set out the condition apart from Christ for 
uh, salvation. Paul's subsequent argument shows that no one is able to fulfill those conditions. Okay, so <clears throat> I think this is, so E is probably the strongest of those options. And here's why. Do you want to stand before God on the basis of what you've done? Like just, just act? Just you. No Jesus, just you. Probably not. Yeah, I'm not going to take that deal, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where I tell the story about my my son when he was a little boy. We were talking about the gospel. We were talking about salvation, and I said to him, "Are are you a sinner? You know, do you do you have sin? Do you do things that are wrong?" He said, "Yeah." Is your dad a sinner? Oh yeah. <laughs> what about your mom? Nope. And I mean, he was going to stick to it. Nope, not mom. No way. And my wife is one of the best people I know, but even she, and I hadn't you may still not be convinced. No, even mom. I don't want that deal because I know what that Christ is better, right? Mm -hmm. Because what Christ offers is forgiveness for my sin. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Growing in popularity is the view that Paul is thinking in these verses specifically of Christians. So what he's saying is if you're gonna do good, if you're gonna follow after God correctly. You're going to come to Jesus mm -hmm. and say, Jesus, I need what you're offering. So how do we think about this, right? So I like section two, number e, five, or letter E, um, because that was a Jewish idea at the time. Doug Moo in his commentary says, we think that the choice lies between the last two of these alternatives. So two E or three, either... Uh, Paul is thinking about Christians in this section. He's kind of hinting at what's coming, mm -hmm. or he's talking about um, a real class of persons, but that don't really have the opportunity. So he's creating something of a hypothetical. But the point in this section is just that God's judgment isn't going to show favorites. Mm -hmm. All right. So we don't want to get too far. I, I think there's a little bit of ambiguity there. Christians can disagree, and that's okay. Um. Even further, you go into the next section. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So even if they don't have the law, you'll still face God's judgment. And that's where, as Paul creates this person, this moral person, the good person, he's moved from the obvious sinner to the person who's trying to do good, who's trying to follow rules. He still doesn't measure up to the perfection that God requires. What do you require for somebody to live in your house? What would God require for someone to live in his presence? Mm -hmm. He requires perfection. And that's hard because we want, well, it's hard and it's not hard, right? <clears throat> because he's provided a way. But the way involves humility. And I think that's the rock that people, humanity kind of gets crushed on. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to be humble. We want to be in control. Right? Yeah. And that's where we have to surrender some level of that. We have to surrender completely, right? Mm -hmm. If I can't do it myself, I have to do, find God's way, right? Um, there's the, the Roman road, right? And that's, if you look, there's the Life Application Study Bible on my, <clears throat> on my uh, computer here. And um, so the Roman road kind of goes, it, it meanders a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Because it doesn't really follow the sections the way that Paul wrote them. 
Okay. But it does follow the concepts. Romans 3.23 says that everybody has sinned, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's true. Paul, in the first three chapters, he's eliminating the options. He talks about the bad person, then he talks about the good person. This coming week, we're going to talk about the religious person. Okay. And he's going to use the Jewish person as the primo example of religion. Okay. The person who is following the rituals, doing the rules, doing all the things, but he still doesn't have Jesus. And so everyone has sinned. Romans 6.23, the penalty for sin is death. Romans 5.8 says Jesus Christ died for our sin. Romans 5 is probably, like, that That for me is just um, such a beautiful part of all of this. Five. Hang on. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, already, like, they're, what is justified? It's to be declared legally righteous. It's when you stand before God in that honest moment. He says, I see all that you've done. I know everything, but I know that you come as a Christian and Christ has paid for this. And therefore you can stand before God. You are justified because of what you believe about Jesus and you have peace with God. So before in chapter one and chapter two, it's talking about the wrath of God being revealed against people. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because we don't like wrath. But peace is the absence of wrath. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so I think the sin section is hard because we haven't gotten to what Jesus has done yet, and we haven't gotten to this place where we are standing at peace with God in his presence, able to avoid the wrath. But until we really truly turn sin up to 11 and believe that people have a problem, they won't come. They won't. They'll mm -hmm. find ways to excuse things. So how long did we go already? We're at 50 minutes. 50 minutes. Well, I think I'm about done. Okay. So Metallica. Metallica, yep. Metallica. The only, are they the only people who have ever played in Antarctica? They're the only one who has played on all seven continents. So I'm feeling like they might be the only ones who've done a concert in Antarctica. I, well, just like I, I need to research Honey. Yes. And now I need to research, um, maybe that was, was that what you asked last week? I don't remember. I don't remember. Hey, I hope you have a great day.